we need to refuse to cooperate with the policies of the Trump administration that are racist, sexist, Islamophobic, anti-Semitic, or otherwise infringe on civil liberties. This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. To support the work we do and get members-only bonus content, please visit the Contributes tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Ring of Fire Radio, Full Frontal with Samantha Bee, Democracy Now!, The Young Turks, The David Pakman Show, The Real News Network, and Democracy Now!, and something special for you today. In the wake of the election, I decided that I needed to learn more about this alt-right that helped propel Trump to his pseudo-victory. So I found some white supremacist podcasts to subject myself to, and one is hosted by a couple who basically sounds like Ward and June Cleaver transported to 2016 and convinced they need to kick all the blacks and Jews out of the country. So for educational purposes only, I thought I would share some of the highlights of them rejoicing over Trump's election. So whenever you hear the Leave It to Beaver theme song, get ready for some real-life hate speech spoken disconcertingly in the friendliest way possible. Anyone who followed the 2016 election closely, uh, specifically followed the work of the Southern Poverty Law Center of people like uh, uh, David Nywert, absolutely knew what would happen if Donald Trump won the election. Because those groups, those, those journalists explained in very clear detail, uh, Chauncey DeVega at Salon, another great friend of Ring of Fire, another person who warned us extensively about this. They told us if Donald Trump wins, it is going to embolden and empower racist bigots all across this country. And here we are just a couple days past the election. And you know what's happening? Non-white children in schools across the United States are being verbally assaulted by white uh, students who support, or I guess whose families support Donald Trump. And they're doing it in the name of Donald Trump. This is Trump's America now is what they're telling these kids. Build the wall, build the wall. Chants like that have been heard in schools across this country. Muslims, uh, uh, adult Muslims on the street have had their head wraps ripped off saying, you're not welcome here anymore, Muslim. This, this is getting insane. Donald Trump wants to take to Twitter and insult and try to strip away the rights of the people protesting his election. Why doesn't he get out there and say, listen, supporters, drop it, let it go. You're not going to be an ass to other human beings. And you're sure as hell not going to be an ass to children in school, but he won't. He doesn't have that kind of courage. He doesn't have that kind of decency. He doesn't have that kind of foresight. He's just an ass himself who believes these things, but something has to be done. Even before the election out of 5,000 educators polled across the United States, one third of them said that they had seen an uptick in, uh, 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 verbal assaults and even physical assaults at times against students of color and, uh, Muslim students in the United States. One third of educators said that they had seen that and they attribute it to the rise of Donald Trump in the United States. 
And now that he is elected, we're seeing graffiti pop up saying this is Trump's America, um, in words, get out. This isn't okay. I mean, this is stuff that, that happened a hundred years ago and we're reliving history. There is literally a parallel between what these Trump supporters are doing and what the Nazis did after Hitler first came to power. I mean, it's textbook. We've seen this before countless times, folks. We have a fascist that is about to move into 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. He doesn't care that his supporters are out there, uh, threatening people of color or Muslims or anyone that's not a white Christian. He doesn't care. He encourages it. He said as much during his campaign. There is, there's no other way to say this. This is going to be a dark four years, folks. This is going to be a very dark four years. And, uh, it's just one of those times where unfortunately we don't have an answer right now. All I can say is that if you see it, report it. There are still some good police officers in this country. There's some very great attorneys. If this happens to you, or if you see this happen to someone, document it, film it if you can, and get the word out. Let's shut these people down the only way that we know how. year and a half, the alt-right movement has congealed around their new god like Denny's gravy on a country fried turd. They're so excited about being mainstreamed, alt-right leaders actually put on their big boy suits and held a press conference last month to present the hip young face of white ethnocentrism. We're going to blur that face because he's an attention-seeking twat and we're the liberal Jew media that controls which faces get on television. So, deal with that. When you ask whites to celebrate diversity, you are asking them to celebrate their dwindling numbers. I do not want my country to become one in which my children and grandchildren are not only a racial minority, but at the rate things are going now, a hated and despised minority. Ooh, nothing wets a woman's panties like a lecture on dwindling racial power. The Society for the Preservation of Blue Eyes even made themselves a logo. Let's just say it stressed continuity. White pride groups have always been about branding, only this time they're using hot graphic design instead of hot irons. But making reporters sit through that press conference isn't the only way the alt-right tortures journalists, especially ones they consider traitors or cucks, an emasculating slang term borrowed from porn and hurled at establishment Republicans by Redditors who watch way too much porn. National Review writer David French and his family were terrorized for months after he posted an article critical of Trump. Some of these alt-right guys saw it and then immediately began deluging my Twitter feed with some of the worst stuff that I've ever seen. It was images of my youngest daughter, who was seven years old at that time, in a gas chamber with Donald Trump in an SS uniform, pushing the button to try to kill her. 
uh, pictures, her, her face uh, photoshopped into images of slaves, some of the worst racial epithets I've ever seen. And then the floodgates really opened. It went from dozens to hundreds of posts, images of African-American men being murdered. Neighbors were getting concerned for our safety, for their safety. It leaked off of Twitter and off of comment posts and into uh, phone calls and emails and threats. Won't it be great when these brave patriots are freed from the oppressive thumb of political correctness? The protocols of the elders of Breitbart have even inspired Trump supporters to do the unthinkable, learn a foreign language. Of course, it's German. No, you said it alt right. Lugenpresse means lying press. And like every other umlauted word ever shouted by a white American man in a trucker hat, it's got a Nazi pedigree. It's also a rallying cry among Europe's far-right anti-Muslim groups. And that's important because today's American white nationalist isn't just gathering with other local dickheads for backyard cross burnings and barbecues. He's on the Internet, networking with other dickheads throughout the world, or at least the white parts of the world. Thanks, globalism. And for vulnerable minds, an internet journey from 4chan to Third Reich offers plenty of chances for radicalization. The Kansas City Crusader terrorists, when they weren't running around calling Somali immigrants fucking raghead bitches, were on their computers reading and sharing articles from anti-Muslim conspiracy websites. They also found time to share hilarious topical satire. (laughs) Get it? It's funny because Trump grabbed women without their consent. Then there was the domestic terrorist who wrote a manifesto explaining how far-right websites had convinced him that black-on-white crime was an epidemic. It was bogus statistics like these that helped persuade him to murder nine African Americans in a South Carolina church. The same statistics that would later be retweeted to millions of gullible white uncles by the Republican nominee for president. By design or by stupidity, Trump's campaign has casually flung open a Pandora's box of vicious gremlins without caring who they might hurt, which is pretty fucking irresponsible. I mean, not as irresponsible as using a private email server, obviously, but still bad. For as a wise lady once said, never doubt the ability of a group of pathetic white fuckboys to ruin the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that on the internet, so I know it's accurate. We'll be right back. A dose of white supremacy. A dose of white supremacy. This is very different. We are in uncharted territory because like I said, if if our opposition, meaning the Jews, Meaning the blacks, you know, like like their their special interest groups. This is, again, we're not referring to every single person in these groups. That's just not the way things work. Mm-hmm. But they're very well financed and very well organized and very experienced organizations. If they if they want to beat us now, they're going to have to both use some things that have worked in the past, like like in, inculcating us with a sense of white guilt and things mm-hmm. like that. But mm-hmm. they're also going to have to try some other things because obviously what they tried to, to stop. Trump with in the primary and in the general it didn't work. It didn't. It didn't stop us. It didn't lessen our enthusiasm at all. Mm-hmm. So I wonder what they'll try next. I would mm-hmm. think that they're going to try to co-opt it, and that's one of my one of my concerns. That we need to pray that Trump does not get people around him 
will get him to weaken yes. and, and, and just give away things, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. But instead, that, that he'll look to us. Mm-hmm. And so we, as a movement, we need to we need to be more to the right than he is, right? Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. need to push him. Mm-hmm. We need to encourage him. We need to support mm-hmm. him. The Anti-Defamation League and the Southern Poverty Law Center are slamming President-elect Donald Trump for naming Stephen Bannon to become his chief strategist. Bannon is the former head of the right-wing outlet, news outlet, Breitbart Media. He took over as Trump's campaign manager in August. ADL CEO Jonathan Greenblatt said, quote, It is a sad day when a man who presided over the premier website of the alt-right, a loose-knit group of white nationalists and unabashed anti-Semites and racists, is slated to be a senior staff member in the People's House, unquote. The Southern Poverty Law Center accused Bannon of becoming, quote, the main driver behind Breitbart becoming a white ethno-nationalist propaganda mill, unquote. Even former Breitbart employees have spoken out about what the site became under Bannon's watch. The site's former editor-in-chief, Ben Shapiro, recently said that staffers are now openly pushing white ethno-nationalism. Donald Trump announced Bannon would become chief strategist on Saturday. Trump has also tapped RNC chair Rens Priebus to serve as his chief of staff. Steve Bannon has also faced questions about domestic abuse. He was charged in 1996 with misdemeanor domestic violence, battery, and dissuading a witness. A Santa Monica, California police report said Bannon grabbed then-wife Mary Louise Picard by the throat and arm and threatened to leave him with to leave with the couple's twin daughters. Bannon pleaded not guilty to the charges, which were dropped later that year when Picard did not appear in court. Picard claimed in divorce proceedings that Bannon pressured her not to testify. Picard also said in a sworn 2007 court filing that Bannon made anti-Semitic comments when the two argued over whether to send their daughters to a private school. According to one document, Picard said, quote, he said he doesn't like the way they raise their kids to be whiny brats and that he didn't want the girls going to schools with Jews, unquote. Joining us in New York is Richard Cohen president of the Southern Poverty Law Center. So, Richard Cohen, you got the news with everyone else that Steve Bannon would be the chief strategist for Donald Trump. Your thoughts? Well, it was incredibly disheartening, Amy. Uh, You know, the night that Trump was elected, he said that he was going to be the president for all Americans, that he was going to bind the wounds of division wounds that, of course, that he had caused. And now we see him doing the opposite, you know, appointing someone who was very proud to give a platform to the alt-right. And, you know, the alt-right is, you know, nothing more than the rebranding of white supremacy, white nationalism for uh, the digital age. So Trump says one thing the day he's elected, does something else, um, you know, uh, at this point. It's, It's really discouraging, really disheartening. And, you know, it doesn't portend well uh, for his administration, I'm afraid. Richard, describe more fully what is the alt-right? What is the Breitbart News website and the significance of Bannon now being the number two man for president, soon to be President Trump? You know, when Breitbart traditionally was a very conservative website, but under Bannon, it's become a cesspool for white supremacy, according to uh, one of his former colleagues. 
you know, uh, the alt-right is white nationalism. It rejects multiculturalism. It's opposed to immigration. You know, the godfather of the alt-right is a fellow named Richard Spencer. His motto is, all men are created unequal. He believes that black people are intellectually inferior. He calls for, you know, the peaceful ethnic cleansing of our country. He was ecstatic when Trump was elected, and I'm sure equally ecstatic now that Bannon is in the White House. Talk about Bannon's background. Talk about his operating of Breitbart News. Yeah, you know, look, I don't want to talk about Bannon's personal background. I just talk about what he's done at Breitbart News. I mean, anyone can go and look at the archives there and see unbelievable stuff. Two weeks after the Charleston massacre, for example, you know, they ran an article talking about how people should proudly fly the federal, the uh, Confederate flag. They've talked about uh, Islam as uh, as a religion of a rape culture. He, he mocked women who are, you know, the victims of sexual harassment uh, in the workplace. It's obsessed with, you know, kind of, you know, the so-called scourge of black on white crime. Uh, it's racist. It's misogynist. It's anti-Semitic. It's everything that this country should not be. Former Breitbart employees have spoken out. This is the site's former editor-in-chief, Ben Shapiro, who wrote, quote, Breitbart has become the alt-right go-to website with Milo Yiannopoulos pushing white ethno-nationalism as a legitimate response to political correctness and the comment section turning into a cesspool for white supremacist meme makers. This is Shapiro speaking to CNN earlier this year. Steve likes to think of himself as the big bear tearing everybody else down because he's a big power player. And look, it's got him where he is now. Uh, I think that, again, Steve Bannon, I tweeted this morning, imagine that one of the worst people you know is heading up a presidential campaign. That's pretty much uh, you know, where I'm at this morning. You've been listening to um, Richard Cohen, your response. Well, look, Trump knew what he was doing. He, you know, he ran a racist campaign from the first day that he came down the escalator at Trump Tower. Uh, you know, he vilified uh, Mexicans. He vilified Latinos. He vilified, you know, women, black, you know, black communities, Muslims. And of course, you know, he brought Steve Bannon in because Steve Bannon reflected his views. And unfortunately, now he hasn't pivoted despite his words after the election. And he's continuing to embrace Bannon. Uh, I wish he would change. Richard Cohen uh, is president of the Southern Poverty Law Center. You know, I asked you first about Bannon. What about Donald Trump and his election and what this means and the report that you've put out, Richard, through the Southern Poverty Law Center of the number of attacks this week on vulnerable people? Um, and overall, your response. Well, look, it's the you mentioned 200 attacks. The number is well over 300 now. And, you know, they're happening everywhere. A lot are happening in schools. We're seeing them in places like Walmart, Starbucks. We're seeing them, you know, just at traffic stops where people are being, you know, people of color are being harassed by people who are passing them and screaming Trump. Um, you know, it's it's an ugly incendiary thing. Last night, uh, Donald Trump was on 60 Minutes and he said, stop it. You know, of course, he also said it only happened one or two times. He terribly downplayed it. And, you know, so Trump needs to, you know, say more than stop it. He needs to speak out forcefully against all forms of bigotry. And then he has to follow talk with the walk. He has to stop putting people like Bannon 
in the administration. He has to you know, throw him out and assure the American public that no one with hate crime ties, no one with hate in their hearts is going to have any role whatsoever in our democracy. So these reports around the country of these assaults of people marching through schools um, and saying, build that wall or make America white again, the reports we have from Philadelphia to Boston, something unprecedented where the schools are sending counselors into the classrooms because these kids are so frightened yeah, after the election of Donald Trump. Look, they were frightened before the election. They were frightened by the rhetoric that Donald Trump was spewing during the election. We did a big survey during the election asking teachers what was happening in their schools. And we never used Trump's name in the survey, but we didn't have to. Thousand teachers wrote back and talked about the horrible things that were happening in their school. You know, uh, an incredible increase in bullying, an incredible increase in ugly and ugly talk. Heartbreaking stories of young children in elementary schools really being fearful, coming up to a teacher every day and saying, has he built the wall yet? Are my parents going to be deported? Um, so, you know, this is just a continuation of what we saw in the campaign, but it's really been quite intensified since the day of the election. Richard Cohen, is there anything you want to add before we go to the voices of the streets of New York? Tens of thousands of people continuing to protest. This was before the appointment of Steve Bannon to be the number two man for a President Trump. You know, I would just urge people to uh, stand strong, be careful, don't give up hope. Uh, you know, one of the sad things at the election was, you know, 43 million Americans uh, who were eligible to vote did not. That's 100 million people. Uh, I don't know how those hundred million people would have voted, but I think our democracy will be healthier when everyone speaks. And so I hope this energy that we're seeing uh, in these demonstrations translates into increased political participation in our country. And Richard Cohen, finally, how Donald Trump has responded to the attacks on people of color, on immigrants around the country. He hasn't done enough. He's minimized the number of attacks. He said there's one or two. There have been hundreds. His alter ego at Breitbart has said that they're all just a hoax and a fraud. He needs to do much, much more if America is, you know, going to be a country that embraces all of its citizens. With the holidays almost here, you don't have time to go to the post office. There's going to be traffic and parking. It's going to be packed with everyone not using Stamps.com to mail their holiday gifts. So do what I would do and use Stamps.com. With Stamps.com, you can avoid all of the hassle of going to the post office, especially during the busy holiday season. Everything you would do at the post office, you can do right from your desk, like buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer, print postage for any letter or package the instant you need it, and then have a mail carrier pick it up. And how did I become a post office genius, you may ask? Uh, it's not well known, but I actually discovered the concept of wholesale and retail uh, completely on my own, completely by accident. Uh, as a teenager, I bought a package deal of video games on eBay. I, I played them, and then when I was done, I sold them all on eBay, except sold them all separately, and I ended up making more money back than I spent originally. It was just like magic. Wholesale, retail. So I did it again, and again, 
and a few dozen more times after that. So when it comes to making trips to the post office, I know of which I speak. So of course, when I discovered Stamps.com, I jumped at the opportunity, and so should you. Right now, sign up for Stamps.com and use my promo code BEST for this special offer, a four-week free trial plus a $110 bonus offer, including postage and a digital scale. So don't wait. Go to Stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in BEST. That's Stamps.com. Enter the code BEST. We warned you that if President Trump was to become a reality, then racists around the country would be significantly emboldened by that. There was plenty of evidence before the election and now post-election. It's not just about being emboldened, it's about acting on it. We're seeing that evidence as well. So we're going to take a hop over to what was posted in high school. You can see a picture right here. Uh, Fuck all porch monkeys, hashtag whites only, which is a trending hashtag to be fair. They're just jumping on the bandwagon. Uh, hashtag white America, and just in case you didn't know, Trump. Now, that, of course, is fuck N-words, uh, has thankfully been taken out. Uh, if we go to the second picture, you're going to see, just to make it a little bit more clear, uh, make America great again. I like that they... Trump train. <laughs> I like that they wrote it on a toilet paper dispenser. Yes. Because that's exactly where it belongs. Yes. And with blacks crossed out, and the handwriting is like... If like an insane juvenile chimpanzee only watched Nazi propaganda and then learned to communicate, that's what it would look like right there. And that, that's what they went for. Um, now, obviously, a lot of people, uh, the parents of children who go to that school are significantly worried. That's Maple Grove uh, High School there. Uh, one of the, the fathers says, uh, talking about their son, he does not feel safe at uh, his own school anymore. I'm not sure what to tell him. Uh, now, let's uh, bop over to Canisius College, where you have this happening. A black doll being strung up by its neck in an elevator. Um, now, the student who found that says that they're considering uh, leaving the school, especially because there have already been racist insults uh, and intimidation leading up to the election. This is a school where 71.9% of the students are white and 6.9% are black, so they already feel demographically... Uh, like outcast to some extent, and now they see a doll hung up, uh, strung up in effigy. Uh, in addition, a man walking his dog in Wellsville, New York, spotted a, a swastika painted on the baseball diamond dugout at Quackenbush Field, along with the words, Make America White Again. Well, the Quackenbushes are out. Uh, they've come out of the Quackenbush, I should exactly. say. Uh, so, here we go. Now, look, these... It's not like these never happened in America before, yeah. but they would be isolated incidents, and they would be at different times in different places. Yeah. These are all right after the election, in case you didn't get it. Some of them actually put Trump or make America great again, uh, so they are emboldened. And yeah. uh, the more that they do this and get away with it, and the more it becomes part of the new normal the more we slip into that fascism yeah. that we warned you about. Yeah. Now, uh, uh, Sean King, who you're probably familiar with, uh, he had posted a message that a woman took and painted. She made a large version of it. Uh, and that was, I believe, after the election. So this is all very recent. And then uh, this happened to it, all within about 24 hours, Trump 2016 over it. Now, when I read the original message, that's when it gets scary because the original message that this person found so objectionable that they had to spray paint Trump 2016 over was, 
Dear Muslims, immigrants, women, disabled, and all people of color, I love you boldly and proudly. We will endure. We will not break. And that drove this person to have to deface that message of unconditional love and tolerance. Um, well, look. Oh, uh, and can I read a message from the woman who painted it? Sure. This is a Teresa Govert who said, I just wanted to make sure that even in our small community that anyone who did feel marginalized felt supported and it's about coming together. Yeah, well, that, that sounds hateful. Uh, <laughs> Clearly terrorist investigator. And, and you remember what uh, Jesus said. Um, take all the outsiders and crush them. <laughs> or maybe he said... Uh, Love one another mm -hmm. and and do it unconditionally. Yeah, hmm, I can't remember which one is which though. Okay. Yeah. So, but these guys who consider themselves good Christians. Yeah. But of course they're not. They use Christianity as a prop, as as a way to mask what they really care about, which is I'm out for me and I'm against all of you. Yeah. And part of my mask and identity is Christianity. So if I actually looked into the message of love that Jesus spread and I and I get it. Look, I, I'm agnostic. I read the Bible. There's a lot of back and forth and a lot of yeah. hypocrisy and contradictions. I know that. But certainly one of the messages you get out of the Bible and the one we'd like to focus on is love. But these guys are like, no, we're good Christians, Trump 2016. I don't want to hear that message of love. In some old Bibles, uh, he said, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. In new Bibles, uh, Trump 2016 is spray painted over it. Love your neighbor doesn't ask me if I fully understand. Doesn't ask if he's a working kind of man. Make more babies and yeah. raise them right. Right, yeah, raise them to um Be because, to because, love their own. Well yeah, yeah and, and seriously, like one of the big problems we have is that when you look at the younger demographic, we are a minority. When right. you look at children, mm -hmm. whites are a minority. Mm -hmm. So even if not one single more immigrant comes in, yes. Okay, so we've we've got major work to do. We need to we do need to have more children, mm -hmm. and we do need to somehow make sure that there are fewer of of the other. Which mm -hmm. I, I'm talk I'm talking non lethal means here, I'm, right? Right. This, you know, so we're talking go home. Mm -hmm. We're talking. Wouldn't you be happier somewhere else? <laughs> or you will be happier somewhere else. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> right. This, this, this is no longer an option. <laughs> so by now, I'm sure everybody watching this understands that Steve Bannon, uh, the guy from Breitbart, is going to be Donald Trump's chief strategist and senior counselor in the White House, and I'm sure most people watching this also understand that Steve Bannon is a huge anti-Semite. A lot of folks are calling him a white nationalist. Um, there's a little debate about that, but there's no question that this guy holds deeply racist views. He helped to push Breitbart in a incredibly racist and misogynistic direction, which then became, uh, made Breitbart the haven for the alt-right and for Trump supporters to go on there and hate on uh, 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 Jewish people, on black people, on Muslims, on Latinas, Hispanics, whatever. They hated on all of them there. And it's because of Steve Bannon. But here's the part of the story where things start to get a little screwy. You see, there's a lot of people on the right 
And to be honest, there's even some on the left who have said, you know what? Let's take a step back. Donald Trump won. Maybe we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Perhaps all of this racism and misogyny that came out during the campaign was nothing more than a talking point to kind of get his base energized now that he's elected. Maybe he won't be so bad. Look, we are less than a week past the national election. And Donald Trump has already supported or, or, or promoted this anti-Semite uh, borderline white nationalist to be his chief strategist. This man is going to have significant influence over policy in the United States for the next four years. So if anyone out there still thinks that maybe we should have a wait and see approach to Donald Trump, just look at Steve Bannon. Look at Rince Priebus. I mean, this is nothing more than a cabinet of supremacists and DC insiders. It is literally the worst of the worst that the Republican party that the United States has to offer. And that's what Donald Trump is already packing into his cabinet. And trust me, as the days and weeks drag on until Donald Trump finally takes office, we're going to see more stories like this. Steve Bannon will not be the only disgusting character, the only disgusting little rat that's going to be scurrying around Donald Trump's cabinet. It's going to be packed to the brim with them. That basket of deplorables is going to be all over that white house. And unfortunately at this point, there's not much we can do because Donald Trump managed to convince a significant portion of the population that, Hey, little racism's okay. Cause he wouldn't want a woman in the white house. When men were men and women wives, it wasn't much, but it felt so safe and black and white. If you're hearing this ad, you may also be trying to decide what podcast to listen to next, and I've got one for you, because hopefully we all know it is not healthy to binge on nothing but politics, so if you want to try out a palate cleanser, try subscribing to Secrets, Crime, and Audio Tape. It's an audio drama told week after week. The latest episode is a darkly comic reimagining of the serial podcast. It's set as a musical satire in which Sarah Koenig is actually one of the suspects, and and NPR nerds will appreciate that the new series is called Wait, Wait, Don't Kill Me. It features Broadway star Leslie Kritzer, who's currently on Something Rotten. Subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of Secrets, Crimes, and Audio Tape on iTunes, Stitcher, Wondery.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To make it easy, there's even a URL in the show notes of this episode to help you find the show. That's Secrets, Crimes, and Audio Tape for your escapist listening pleasure. That was the place Things have completely exploded with Steve Bannon, CEO of Trump's presidential campaign, executive director of right wing news site Breitbart. He's got a real problem with Jews, if you believe a number of different people who claim to know about it. And this relates to the issue of Trump not being anti-Semitic necessarily. His daughter is Jewish. His son in law is Jewish. His grandkids are Jewish. 
but he is surrounding himself with people that are allegedly anti-Semitic. And he's also really emboldening anti-Semitism among his followers. And this is going to be supposedly Steve Bannon is going to be a, a, one of Trump's closest advisors during his upcoming presidency. There are now so many stories about Steve Bannon, including the fact that according to his ex-wife, he complained that there were too many students at the Archer School for Girls, which is a very elite, expensive private school in Los Angeles. Uh, and apparently he didn't want his kids going there because there were just a lot of Jewish kids that he didn't want his kids around. According to Bannon's ex-wife, Mary Louise Picard, in a court declaration during their divorce, quote, the biggest problem he had with Archer is the number of Jews that attend. He said he doesn't like the way they raise their kids to be whiny brats and that he didn't want the girls going to school with Jews. Bannon reportedly also complained that another elite school had, quote, too many Hanukkah books <laughs> in the library. Now, there are critics saying, David, this is something his ex-wife said in divorce proceedings to make him look bad. If you want to make your soon to be ex-husband look bad in court, you don't come out with super specific stuff about Jews. You would say something that would be more influential maybe to the court and getting a more favorable child support or alimony settlement settlement or whatever. You don't come up with really specific comments about Jews at a school. And by the way, Glenn Beck is really being upfront about this. Glenn Beck, a right winger who is very concerned about Donald Trump and the appointments that are going on. He said, oh, yeah, there's no doubt that Steve Bannon is connected to white nationalism. Check this out. Steve Bannon wants to burn it down. And you will if you listen to this show, you will learn what he wants to replace it with. He's a nightmare. And he's the chief advisor to the president of the United States. Now. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, if people really want to in the press uh, would like to call uh, Donald Trump a racist, you might want to stop on that one and just spend a little time on Bannon. Because Bannon has a clear tie to white nationalists. Clear tie. You, well, yeah, he said his is, was for the, yeah, the alt-right. Yeah, he's built Breitbart as a platform for the alt-right. He is on record saying that. He's on record uh, defining the alt-right. He knows what it is. Um, he is a guy who has uh, he wants to tear this system down and replace it with a new system. He is he is a frightening. No, no, no. He is a terrifying man. Are we really supposed to be surprised that an ultra right conspiracy theorist is allegedly an anti-Semite? I mean, they often go together and former KKK leader David Duke really, really likes it. This is from yesterday on the Rents Radio Network's David Duke show. Sounds like a just absolutely tremendous show. People are telling me he is really happy about Steve Bannon being involved in the Trump White House. Check this out. Interestingly enough, Mr. Bannon is being chosen uh, to be the top strategist. In other words, basically the closest advisor to Donald Trump in terms of the ideas of the Trump revolution. I think that's a good sign because I think Mr. Bannon has really been right on about a lot of issues facing European Americans. He's really <laughs> talked about the and supported in some ways the alt right. 
Yeah. Although I think they've supported some of the members, uh, our so-called members of the alt-right, uh, like Milo, uh, who is not really representative of the alt-right. At the same time, he certainly understands that immigration is a destructive force in America, the Western world. They have been savagely attacking Merkel and, of course, Trump himself. Yeah. So I know that the reaction is always, Pat, listen, Trump disavowed David Duke. Trump's uh, daughter is Jewish. His grandkids are Jewish. That's all fine, well and good. But it becomes harder and harder to say that there is nothing to discuss when Trump has mobilized and excited white supremacists like no candidate for a very long time. People like David Duke like Trump. They like Trump selections, et cetera, et cetera. It's fine that Donald Trump is not personally anti-Semitic. We don't really need to even explore whether he is or isn't. Look at who's emboldened by the Trump will be administration. And there's some more reluctant Trump supporters who say that he'll drop his more xenophobic rhetoric once he takes office. Yeah. Until he doesn't have Steve Bannon in his ear and until people like David Duke renounce him. Yeah. There's no reason to believe that. If Duke remains happy about what you are doing and about who you're picking, then that is still cause for concern. And we're seeing just record hundreds and hundreds of anti-Semitic attacks being reported to the Anti-Defamation League and the KKK planning a parade. Everybody in this town is In February, when we started the AM Gray podcast, mm-hmm. um, we, we would occasionally talk about the Trump campaign just because it was such a tremendous opportunity for us who are normal people. Yeah. Well, it offered a lot of hope, too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was it was like, wow, somebody really in I'm the limelight. weird. Yeah. <laughs> they're talking about what we want to talk about. Exactly. They're saying they're making me feel like I am OK. Yes. And yeah. that's somebody basically like my big brother mm-hmm. or, or, you know, like my, my uncle right. is going to stand up for right. us. Like he's and not right so about cool. absolutely everything, yeah. but he at least can see your point of view and takes it with gusto. On Sunday, President-elect Donald Trump announced that Stephen Bannon would be his chief strategist at the White House. Stephen Bannon is a former naval officer and ex-Goldman Sachs employee, and is the executive chairman of Alt-Right, a Breitbart news service. He has spent at least the last eight years bringing together various right-wing individuals and organizations to attack both the establishment Republicans and Democrats and push forward his own perspectives of a right-wing United States. To discuss this, I'm being joined by Rabbi Elisa Wise. She's the director of Jewish Voice for Peace and has just released a public statement on behalf of JVP under the heading JVP on Choice of White Supremacist Anti-Semitic Islamophobe Stephen Bannon as Chief Strategist. I thank you so much for joining us, Rabbi Wise. Thank you for having me. Rabbi Weiss, you suggested that Bannon is a white supremacist, anti-Semitic, Islamophobe. But what is it specifically that he has done to deserve all of these labels? So 
Bannon's uh, media outlet, Breitbart, has been the media home of the alt-right in the United States. Um, and the alt-right, you know, has now, as it's finding its place within the White House, um, demands a lot of scrutiny. So as we look back on what Breitbart has um, and what Bannon himself has said about the guests, for example, that he's had on the show, for example, Pamela Geller, who you might have heard of our campaigns at Jewish Voice for Peace Against Islamophobia because she has put um, advertisements on the side of buses and on subway stations um, kind of in, with the most grotesque and vile and vitriolic um, depictions of Muslims. And his response to her is, she's a real American patriot, right? So this person who has really become the face of the most vile forms of Islamophobic sentiment is to him a definition of American patriot. And she appeared not just once, but seven times on his show. And she's just one of multiple um, kind of figureheads of white supremacist, Islamophobic, anti-Semitic ideology that he not only engages, you know, obviously within the media, it's okay to engage with people you disagree with, but then goes on to support them, to praise them, to encourage the listeners to follow their, um, their work and support it. Right. And, um, you know, so that in the, in and of itself is enough reason um, to have pause. And there's, there's numerous examples of his um, own personal sentiments, you know, uh, as far as anti-Semitism goes, which we at Jewish Voice for Peace understand to only be able to understand in the context of Islamophobia, in the context of white nationalism and white supremacy is his, you know, complaining that there were too many Jews at his um, children's school. And, you know, that in and of itself might not be concerning, but when you have a picture of a person who is really the godfather of the alt-right movement, whose kind of foundation is white supremacy and white nationalism, right. and you right. have his... Right. Yeah. Uh, Rabbi, so Stephen Bannon as chief strategist for Trump is obviously going to be setting the stage for national discourse, and it's really problematic given the examples you just provided us. But uh, by appointing him, uh, you know, obviously Trump is prepared to take some of the flack for this and the consequences of such an appointment. Um, uh, and, and it's also not unusual for a president uh, who uh, has just run for uh, election and, and someone has assisted him in that endeavor. Uh, to get appointed to some prominent position within the White House. Um, but, uh, but this one is particularly colored with, uh, uh, with a certain history. Um, do you think that he will uh, be able to continue uh, with such an appointment um, on, his, uh, on his set of advisors or counselor as, as uh, he has done? Because sometimes these appointments get appointed and then soon after uh, a public reaction or outcry, um, they get uh, either dismissed or moved to someplace else, so less prominent. What, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I certainly hope not. You know, I know the Southern Poverty Law Center, whose work it is to track white supremacists um, and is, has, you know, called for action to kind of resist and fight this appointment. And I'm hoping that people will respond to that and encourage that to be rethought. But I think even if he, if a new, uh, there's a new chief strategist appointed, 
it still remains that this is a choice that Donald Trump thought was appropriate. A person who has an open embrace, fervor and of racism and xenophobia, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism. And I think it's really significant because in the wake of his election, you know, we've been hearing some, you know, like, let's see what he does. Let's give him a chance. Right. And here's one of the first things that he's done. And it just is a further confirmation of exactly what we saw throughout his campaign, where those um, were the hallmarks of his campaign, really. So it's really just a confirmation of what we've seen, even if um, Bannon is replaced with somebody even a bit more moderate. Uh, Rabbi Weiss, uh, apparently uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu had called uh, Donald Trump upon his victory and congratulated him. And Donald Trump said that um, Netanyahu would be one of the first people invited to come and visit the White House. Um, how does this jive when, when he's just appointed somebody who's so uh, anti-Semitic um, and, uh, and is now going to be representing uh, Trump at the White House? House. Uh, how, how does he deal with the Netanyahu? And is there, or is there a, uh, some sort of um, similarities between the uh, yeah. right-wing governments here? Right. Well, it's a really interesting question, and I think kind of it makes us and people in the Jewish community confront kind of the inherent contradictions between Israel claiming to be a Jewish state and act in the interest of all Jews and then align itself with Trump, who is aligning himself with anti-Semitism, right? And so there's a there's a very glaring contradiction that's being brought to light here, which, you know, for our work at Jewish Voice for Peace, we see this as, you know, a mirror of what we've been watching with horror over the past decades as Israel's far-right government um, deepens the violence, hatred, and repression um, of Palestinians and kind of non-Jewish citizens of Israel. And we are kind of bracing ourselves seeing the Trump and Netanyahu alliance, right? And this is going to be actually a very significant moment for Jews where, you know, they're going to, so 76% of the Jewish community um, voted for Clinton, right? So these same Jews are now going to be, have to be faced with Trump, this person who represents so many reprehensible things that go against their values and see the right-wing government of Israel embrace him and cheer his victory, right? And so, you know, we, at, just as we don't sit idly by and watch Israel um, kind of displace and violate um, Palestinian rights, we will not do the same here in the U.S., all right. Uh, we'll be watching closely, as I'm sure you will be. Um, what do you suggest to those people who are feeling like you are in terms of these appointments and Trump uh, taking uh, the White House? Um, you know, there are protests happening across the country yeah. uh, in the last few days. But what do you suggest that people do in order to uh, protest this uh, appointment and much more that might be coming? It's a great question. And I think, you know, one of the hallmarks of the movement for justice in Palestine in the past number of years has been a boycott, divestment and sanctions movement. And at the heart of what that movement is, is non-cooperation with the status quo. And I think that's what's called for now here. Um, we need to refuse to cooperate with the policies of the Trump administration that are racist, sexist, Islamophobic, anti-Semitic, or otherwise infringe on civil liberties. You know, we, this is a time for people to deepen their commitment 
um, to organizing and find the org community organizations that best reflect their values and take part. You know, this, this is a moment where the organizations and the movements that have been building for decades are really well prepared to hit the ground running in this time. And so we need each other both emotionally um, in this time, but we also need each other because it's only going to be a grassroots movement that will be able to ensure that people's rights and safety are protected during this dangerous time of a Trump administration. We've got one last chance. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. this is it, folks. This is God saying, okay, I will give you one more chance, Here's which you a don't grace. deserve. Yeah. A and more than that, this is one last chance under really nice conditions. We get yeah. we get the government to like us. Oh, yeah. Like in, an, in a, the most extreme way it ever has in the last 50 years at least. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, Donald Trump is about as out there, you know, in terms of mm -hmm. being supportive as any candidate we could have ever hoped for. Let alone his son. Yeah. Oh, oh hey, hey. hey, hey, we might have a convert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need to win Donald Trump Jr. over to the cause, like out and out. Right. I mean, he's already tweeting, like retweeting alt-right guys like Kevin yes. McDonald and whatever. We've seriously got to get him to be like the first explicit alt-right major candidate. Dude should run for Senate. Okay. <laughs> That's right. Seriously, in a couple of years. He has politics in his future, doesn't he? Oh, absolutely. Please. <laughs> I received in the wake of the Donald Trump presidential election, the vilest hate mail that I believe I've ever received. And if you look at my hate mail folder, there are thousands upon thousands of emails in there. I'm going to show it to you in a second. The backstory of this entire situation is Donald Trump is one thing, right? Uh, but the violent and dangerous racists and xenophobes who have been emboldened by Donald Trump's election as president elect are another thing. They are very disturbing and a top concern for all sorts of civil rights groups across the country. Uh, we're going to get into some of the broader data, but I want to give you just this first data point case in point. This is the vilest hate mail I've probably ever received, and I receive a lot. And this is just one example of the many that have come in after Donald Trump was elected. This is very aggressive. I'm just warning you, we are going to put it up on the screen. Some viewers may find this very disturbing and I will read it to you. Let's take a look at it, Pat. This was an email from somebody uh, using the email address gas a kike at hotmail.com, probably a fake email address. Uh, these email addresses often just uh, put in there uh, as, as part of the entire thing. The subject racist anti-white kikes fail to stop Trump. And it was from someone calling themselves Kikey Kikestein. The message to me, you are nothing but an inbred kike gas chamber rat, Pacman. No one listened to the SF Jew media this election and no one ever will again. Everyone is now aware of you kikes promoting white genocide. You are effing finished, Jew boy. Enjoy your new president. Hmm. 
also over the weekend. I was home in uh, Western Massachusetts. Racist, anti-Semitic, pro-Trump uh, graffiti appeared on a cliffside in East Hampton, Massachusetts, on the cliffside on Mount Tom. Significant outrage from local residents. A bunch of my friends showed up and actually uh, painted over it. It said everything from gas the Jews, uh, kill all black people without using that word, Trump 2016 and swastikas. Also, some friends of mine in Greenfield, Massachusetts, this is this is a very liberal area where there were enclaves of Trump support, but by and large, a very liberal area uh, reporting that not far from uh, really right next to a synagogue in the Greenfield, Massachusetts area, a swastika carved into the sidewalk. Department of Public Works reportedly came out and uh, ground it down. So many people reaching out and expressing concern for number one, Jews because it's very, very popular to just start blaming Jews, attacking Jews, et cetera, despite the fact, by the way, that for the I think for the first time we have members of the first family who will be Jewish under a Donald Trump administration. This proves, again, it's only partially about Trump, but it's mostly about who's emboldened by Trump. And number two, concern for people in progressive media as well. A lot of people over the weekend talking to me about that. I told you about the incident in Philadelphia at a Jewish owned business. Uh, uh, something like uh, Hail Trump 2016 with swastikas on the glass window at the front. And there have been more than 200 incidents of hateful harassment or intimidation, which are anti-Semitic in nature reported so far, Pat, to the Southern Poverty Law Center. It's just been hours since, Trump, since Trump's election. This is very scary stuff. Yeah. And I'm shocked that this sort of thing could happen in Western Massachusetts, because when you yeah. think of Western Massachusetts, it's a very quaint uh, nice progressive area. Yeah. Um, so it is surprising. But there's been so much coverage over the protests, the anti-Trump protests that, that have been going on over the past week or so yeah. that are by and large nonviolent, peaceful. I'm I'm worried about the um, the more racist voices that are empowered under a Trump presidency. They are feeling emboldened. They are feeling very emboldened. That email I got is only it's we can't do an entire show where I just read hate mail. But this was so particularly spiteful and vile and aggressive that I, I thought we would include it in our discussion today of what are right, this is not just me getting this stuff. We have a report from the ADL about the violent and aggressive uh, 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 attacks via Twitter on. And, and what I mean is uh, linguistically violent. Obviously, you can't do physical violence via Twitter, although you can incite it against Jewish journalists and reporters, including Ben Shapiro, who is a right winger who did not support Donald Trump. This is getting really, really serious, and we're going to, to keep covering it. You've reached the activism portion of today's show. Now that you're informed, angry, and motivated, it is time to take action. Not next week, not next month, but right now. Today's activism, get trained for the resistance. 
Now look, you're a listener of this show, so you're already paying attention and you understand what the country is facing under a Trump administration. But if you skip past these activism segments in the past, or maybe just never took the next step to get involved, I want to remind you today that you, of all people, of all times in history, especially if you are white, have no excuse not to take action today. You cannot rely on the people who already consider themselves activists or the people who will be targeted to get in the streets, stand up for themselves and those under attack, and fight Trump and his followers for the next four years. If you do, you will be complicit in America's downfall. Because it doesn't matter anymore if you voted for Bernie, Hillary, Johnson, or Stein, we all lost on November 8th, even Trump voters. They just don't know it yet. And that's just the sick reality of it. Barring a miracle when the electoral college meets in December, in less than 70 days, Trump will be sworn in as President of the United States. But, as you've heard today, his impact is already being felt. So, what are you going to do? Here's a better question. How will you be part of changing our culture so that this can't happen again? Your first step is to go to showingupforracialjustice.org, also known as SURGE. Showing Up for Racial Justice is a national network of groups and individuals organizing white people for racial justice. Through community organizing, mobilizing, and education, SURGE Action moves white people to act as part of a multiracial majority for justice with passion and accountability. Their focus is on inviting in those who are simply uneducated about racism instead of spending time calling out those well-meaning but ill-informed people when they misstep. White people elected Trump, and not all of his voters are racist, but they did all choose to ignore his racism, which still gives us the same damaging result. So to write off white people entirely in our resistance movement would be absurd. We want the movable white middle to join us. We want them to see the mutual benefits of equality for all races, genders, religions, and abilities so that they take these issues more seriously in the future. That means engaging in a conversation with them and inviting them to join us in standing up for people of color color, the LGBTIA plus community, immigrants, refugees, the disabled, and women with mass demonstrations across the country. As civil rights activist Anne Braden once said, quote, the battle is and always has been a battle for the hearts and minds of white people in this country. We need to become involved with it as if our lives depended on it, because really, in truth, they do, unquote. On the Surge Action website, you can get resources on organizing, find a Surge chapter in your community, or start one, and sign up for in-person or on-the-phone direct action and organizing trainings. Right now, many Surge chapters across the country are currently offering direct action training in their communities, and the national office is offering training conference calls into December. Surge is about educating those who are new to activism. So if this is your first time, don't be nervous. They want you to be prepared. Because when activists are prepared and organized, they're effective. And that has never been more important than now. The segment notes include all of the links to this information, as well as additional resources, and as always, this and every activism segment we produce is archived and organized under the Activism tab at bestofleft.com. So if resisting racism, fascism, and authoritarianism is important to you, then be sure to hit the share buttons to spread the word about getting trained for the resistance by showing up for racial justice via social media so others in your network can take action too. Stand up, fight back, there is no time to lose.
Nicole Hannah-Jones, um, we are going from the first African-American president uh, in the United States to a president supported by the Ku Klux Klan. Your thoughts? Well, I think if one studies history, this is not a surprising outcome. Um, I've been tweeting about this all morning. You look at what happens after the Civil War, after Lincoln's assassination. Um, you get Grant, and then you get Hayes. And Hayes basically returns the White South to power and ends Reconstruction. You look at Lyndon B. Johnson, um, who, of course— uh, passes and helps pass the most expansive civil rights legislation since Reconstruction. And we replace him in this country with Richard Nixon, who runs on a Southern strategy that plays on the racial fears of, of white Southerners and white ethnics in the North. And they quickly roll back um, and decide that they are not going to enforce key civil rights legislation. And now we have the first black president, and he gets replaced with uh, someone who has been endorsed by white supremacists, white nationalists, and the KKK. So I think while a lot of people are reeling— um, um, I think that this is probably a very unsurprising outcome when you look at history. Whenever there are great strides towards racial progress in this country, there is a white backlash, and we're in the middle of that. Mm -hmm. And I think the media coverage that is um, trying to call this a, an issue of working class without saying white working class, when we know that black, Latino, brown working class did not vote for Donald Trump, is dishonest. I think also that we know that, um, at least from preliminary results, Trump won across the board with white voters, with educated white Americans, middle-class white Americans, that it was not just white folks who didn't know any better. So I think there's a lot of soul-searching that needs to be done. But I also think that this election is very American. What do you mean, American? Like I just said, if you look at history, this is unsurprising. Um, this has been a country that has never been comfortable with racial progress for ethnic and religious minorities, and still is not so. We just heard clips today, starting with a Ring of Fire radio discussing the wave of hate that Trump's election inspired. Samantha Bee on Full Frontal explained a bit about the alt-right. Democracy Now! reported on Trump's selection of Steve Bannon as a top aide. The Young Turks also discussed the wave of hate unleashed by this election. Ring of Fire insisted we not wait and see if the Trump administration won't be as bad as we thought. David Pakman showed that even Glenn Beck finds Steve Bannon terrifying, while David Duke thinks he's a good choice. The Real News Network spoke with a rabbi about the bizarre alliance between the increasingly anti-Semitic right-wing in America with the right-wing government in Israel. David Pakman discussed the most vile piece of hate mail he's ever received that came in just after the election. And finally, Democracy Now! highlighted the historical pattern of white backlash against racial progress that made Trump's election look almost completely predictable. And as for those clips of white supremacists celebrating finally having an ally in the White House, it is important to note that those people are the two most moderate-sounding white supremacists I could find. The rest of them were much worse. You can find links to each of these segments in the show notes for easy reference and sharing. And now, we'll hear from you. Hi, Jay. It's Justin in Indiana. Uh, just got through listening to your latest podcast. And the things you felt on election night or the day after, exactly, exactly my comments I want. I said, well, you know, I have nothing to worry about. With Donald Trump being the president of the United States, because I'm a white man, but it's no less crushing 
whenever you have a family that includes two women, extended family that includes many women, biracial children, it's devastating. It's not all of them see it. Not all your family see it. Not all your friends see it. But uh, I really, really feel for the uh, American citizen that had to wake up that, that next day and say, I'm screwed. I'm a black woman. I'm screwed. I'm a Mexican-American. I'm screwed. I'm a Muslim. A Muslim that looks like a Muslim would look, quote, unquote. You know, I'm still not over it. And I uh, appreciate your podcast and, you know, the uh, call to action to resist, make your voice heard, to protect those that need that, stand up for the weak. My name is Jessica, and I live in Las Vegas, Nevada. And I just want to call and say that um, I'm just a little bit tired of everyone blaming Clinton for the loss of this. Yeah, I get it. I hear you. We should have ran Bernie. But that's not the really horrifying part about this. As horrifying as Trump is, and he is, the part that's even more horrifying is that we now have a Republican-controlled Senate and House, and soon-to-be Supreme Court. The real problem here is not Clinton. The real problem is that half of America thinks that the email scandals means that she should be hung or that the BLM movement is full of terrorists. That's the real problem. This is half of America we're talking about. So, yeah, I hear you. We should run Bernie. But I feel like you're... We're missing the bigger part, which is we're not, I don't know, we're not seeing eye to eye. They, half of America voted in a Republican everything. It's not just Trump. Trump was the spearhead, but they followed him in. Anyways, that's it. Thanks for the show. I love it. Bye. Hi, Jay. It's Nick from California. Just trying to take a message that is pretty complex that was said in your last podcast, and I'm trying to boil it down. To a, a simpler message uh, going along with your experiment. Uh, there are a myriad of reasons why uh, Hillary lost, but um, you know, basically the Democrats, especially in the presidential election, uh, lost the working class, lost working people, the party that's supposedly socialist, that's supposed to be the workers and safety nets and all that stuff, uh, they lost the working person. Uh, now, uh, why that is, uh, obviously complicated. You know, part of it might be sort of the stuff about the elites that was said as far as the, uh, Bill Clinton. Um, and part of it was, as Richard Wolf said, Obama, either he didn't want to or he couldn't. It doesn't really matter. The fact is he didn't transform the economy for the average working people. And people were sensitive to that and misguidedly voted for not only a Republican, but a crazy one who... Eh, apparently crafted a populist message at times. 
Um, even though I, you know, I, I think we're all suspects that he will uh, actually follow through with any of those populist ideas or that they'll work, especially in regards to his tax policy. The fact of the matter is he was able to do it, and that is one of the major reasons besides sexism and racism, all those things that he lost. So again, I'm just trying to distill sort of very complicated multi-segment thing into the fact that as liberals, we need to uh, change our messaging to appeal to people who are work and are at the lower end of the socioeconomic status. And, and maybe that's because we need to change not just our messaging, but maybe our policies and focus. Okay, well, I don't know if that was that good or useful, but I figured I'd give it a try. Uh, stay awesome, Jay. Bye-bye. Hi, Jay. This is Roy in Exile in Texas. I'm calling about show number 1057 and uh, taking your challenge to take something I agree with and uh, restate it slightly. It's a segment on the democratic disdain for the working class really struck a note with me because, quite frankly, there are people in this country who they probably saw their parents start out having a pretty decent life, and by the time they were entering the workforce, it was near gone. I myself am self-educated. College was completely out of reach for me, and there are a lot of people that all they see are an endless succession of doors being slammed in their face. And on top of it, any time that they dare to complain... There's always some liberal to sing the, oh, well, this group has it worse or that group has it worse, which may be true, but when you're barely putting food on the table and you cannot see a way for your children to have even as good a life as you've had, let alone a better one, you don't really care. And when all you're getting is the song of more of the same from Hillary Clinton, and things did not improve that much for the working class under Obama, regardless of your race. Certainly there's a lot of people willing to do a lot of crazy things, which is why we have the president that we're going to have come January. I'd love to end this message with some kind of suggestion, but right now I do not have one, except maybe it's time for liberals, which I consider myself one, but maybe it's time for liberals to stop treating the working class like they're the goddamn enemy. Anyway, love the show. Take care. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make this show possible. Thanks to Amanda Hoffman for all of her work on our social media outlets and activism segments. And thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment or question of your own to be played on the show, simply record a message at 202-999-3991. Three very quick points. First of all, back during the primaries, I read Sinclair Lewis's classic, It Can't Happen Here. I described the storyline on the show before. Uh, Things are progressing pretty nicely in reality, uh, tracking right along uh, with that book. So it's not too late if, if you'd like to see how fascism comes to America as portrayed fictionally in a novel that is coming true before our very eyes. Uh, I highly recommend it. The key takeaway from the book is that it's not about the guy himself, but who he surrounds himself that really matters. And I think today's episode puts a fine point on that. Secondly, I don't want any bullshit false equivalencies about anti-Trump violence. Uh, it is not the same thing. First of all, 
The proper comparison would be between violent and threatening Trump supporters now compared with Obama supporters in 2008. If you can find any stories of Obama supporters committing anti-white hate crimes out of their, you know, giddy jubilation from Obama being elected, then send them my way and I'll happily condemn them. The point is that pro-Trump violence and hate right now is born from a previously suppressed desire to be violent and hateful. Anti-Trump violence right now, though it may be reasonably criticized as self-defeating, is born from a need for self-defense and preservation. Not the same fucking thing. And finally, just a thanks to those who called in as part of my experiment, uh, those who called uh, trying to explain something that was already said on the show, but to explain it in sort of a new and interesting way. Please keep that up. Uh, I'll tell you what it's all about in in a later episode, but... If you have heard something in the show or the voicemails or the comments today, try to call in and explain it in a different way. The number again, 202-999-3991. Just a quick reminder, Secrets, Crimes, and Audio Tape is an audio drama told week after week. The latest episode is a darkly comedic musical satire of Serial that thinks Sarah might have done it called Wait, Wait, Don't Kill Me. Make sure to subscribe to Secrets, Crime, and Audio Tape on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations, as that is absolutely how the program survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and leaving glowing reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. Help us in our mission to aggregate and amplify the best progressive media by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter and sharing all of the great content we put out there. And for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information can always be found in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you every Tuesday and Friday, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. And it's a cry and shame How we get so trained We can see past our sad stories And wonder what we're missing We can see past our sad stories And forget how to listen We can see past our sad stories And Stories and forget who it is before.